Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly. And our topics this week, a street fight over a name. Rather than fight, Troy Schulte retires. And Democrats try again to retire President Trump. Plus, roast and toast. But we're going to start with our newsmaker segment and welcome two guests from two groups hoping to make life better, safer, and more productive in Kansas City. Our guests are Classy Alcine, president of KC Common Good, and Alana Mueller, director of community development at American Public Square. Ladies, welcome to Ruckus. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks Thank for, you having for having us. us. I'm going to start with you, Classy. Uh, I've been reading articles about KC Common Good, saw yes. some videos, listened to some audio sound bites. It's uh, quite involved. Is there a way you can simplify it for us and tell us in a couple of sentences mm -hmm. the purpose of KC Common Good? So the purpose is that the organization convenes people in organizations in order to address the root causes of violence and create an environment where all people can live safely, securely, and have access to real opportunities here in the metropolitan area. So violence is the main concern? Well, it really is about the space of violence and root causes, which can range anywhere from um, the domestic space to violence against kids um, to suicides that are happening. We know here in the Greater Kansas City area that many of our school districts have started off the year with having students who have committed suicide. And so we have to do more in the space where people are feeling so hopeless. We have to increase hope and opportunity for all. Now, Alana, you mm -hmm. represent American Public Square, and I know the two organizations are related, but That's before right. we talk about the relationship, remind us what your group does. Sure, I'd be delighted to. American Public Square is a not-for-profit organization that's been in the Kansas City area for about five years. And what we do is we bring together non-like-minded people to have civil, fact-based conversations about tough topics. And we have many of those today. Now, what is the connection between American Public Square and KC Common Good? Sure. About two years ago, we were approached by a local philanthropist, Terry Dunn, who thought that American Public Square had a particular approach to addressing issues that might help to address what he called an existential problem in the Kansas City area, which was too much violence. From Terry's perspective, he said too many people are dying, whether that be as classy described by homicide, suicide, domestic violence, violence against children. And he thought that perhaps American Public Square could begin to bring together our more than two million citizens in this community to have a conversation about how can we begin to care and empathize with one another and really have a responsibility for taking care of one Classy, another. I assume both of the Dunn family, uh, Terry and, uh, and his wife, Peggy, the mayor of Leewood, both are playing a major role in the development Absolutely. of KC Common Good. Absolutely. It's very, it's a crucial time, I think, for for the area. And this morning, um, I was looking at the Kansas City Police Department report mm -hmm. on the homicides. We're at 112. And so in any way that we can create more access, provide more heft to the organizations doing great work and connect them to people that need them, we're moving in the right direction. And Casey Common Good is about societal change. And to make that happen, you have to have someone who wants to put their hand up and say, okay, how we, can we convene these different groups, get them to work together? And that's where 
a lot of the well, products. That's the commonality, right? Yeah. Your experience in, in convening it is. groups. Yeah, we believe that by convening the people and organizations already doing this great work, we can provide more heft for them. Truthfully, we don't want to create anything new if we can help it. What we want to do is we want to bring more presence for the organizations already doing this important job of caring for one another. Classy, uh, how do you measure the effect of KC Common Good? Well, we're going to have different um, metrics. Mm -hmm. A couple places that we have looked at are a couple areas. It could be by reducing violent crime in certain zip codes, mm -hmm. but it really could range around our community resources portal, which will be an online space where folks can use to go online. They can call into a number. We have a partnership with United Way 211. Uh, our goal is to build a relationship with different li library systems where people can actually walk in and get mm -hmm. the resources that they need. Um, so in that way, we will measure by how many people are using them, calling the hotline, along with how many page views we get on our portal itself. Um, and the more of that we should see more of a measurable out outcomes. Give me the website for your organization. It is kccommongood.org. And uh, Alana, what's coming up? What meetings are scheduled? Well, we actually have two events at American Public Square that will be co-hosted by KC Common Good. The first will be on October 24th. We'll address the topic of affordable housing and the idea of what, what are the costs associated with that. Uh, there, I think there's no disagreement that we need to provide more affordable housing in this community, but the question is how do we make that happen in a realistic way? Thanks to both uh, yeah, of you for coming you. in. Appreciate your involvement. Good luck with the organization. Thank Hope you. things go well, and perhaps you'll come back and see us again and give us an update on how things are progressing. Thank you for Thanks having for us. Me. Thank you. That is Classy Alcine with Casey Common Good and Alana Mueller with American Public Square. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Dustin Morris is with the Singularis Group. Gwen Grant is president and CEO of the Urban League in Kansas City. Chris Reeves is a Kansas representative on the Democratic National Committee. And attorney Laura McConwell is a former mayor of Mission, Kansas. Thanks to all of you for coming in. It's good to see you. I don't think this group has ever been together as a foursome before. So we'll hope for the best. <laughs> see what happens. It seems we are never far from an election in Kansas City, Missouri. And come November, there will be another one. Probably what will be the most interesting issue on a sparse ballot is this. Should the name of the Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, until recently the Paseo Boulevard, be changed back to the Paseo? As you'll recall, the city council, not the current one, its predecessor, bowed to pressure and instituted the name change. Then a group of unhappy residents mounted a petition drive that put the question on the November ballot. So Gwen, which side are you on and which side do you think will win? I bet it's the side you're on. Of course. <laughs> so I oppose the petition uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, I don't believe we want to be, you know, to have the ignominious distinction of being the only city in the country to tear down a memorial to Dr. Martin And that Luther was the King. catalyst for the change, the need yes, for some we sort were of not, a memorial. Right, we didn't have one. Now we do. And so now we want to be known as the city 
that took the memorial to Dr. King down. That should be a non-starter for the electorate. That's not, uh, uh, you know, that's not how we want to be known across this country. The repercussions could be huge relative to, first of all, just our national image. Secondly, tourism and convention business. It's just not a good thing for Kansas City. To the issue of process, as the neighbors say, the people who live on the boulevard, uh, you know, claim there was no process, but in fact there was. There was a, a, a task force that was appointed to explore uh, the best names to or the best way to honor Dr. King and the Purcell Boulevard was among three recommendations that was passed on to the City Council. So, you know, I think that it would, you know, the, the, the ship has sailed, uh, the signs are up, and uh, we need to stay the course. Does this controversy transcend racial lines? Well, you know, I think I it does. I, mean, I, I don't think, think it does. Any... I don't, you know, I think it transcends racial lines, but I think you cannot uh, avoid the racial implications in that Dr. King, who was a civil rights leader, and uh, when you tear, if you, we tear those signs down, it will have racial implications for the city. Uh, uh, Laura, uh, do you think city council should have put this question to a public vote before making the change? Apparently, a group of clergymen who wanted the name changed from Paseo to King are the ones who push the council to make the change? Well, I, I, when I was mayor, I never liked having a vote and then voting to change the vote that the council just had. I, I don't think that's necessarily good public policy, but I do think if you're going to make a change, and, and, and I think it's it, honoring Dr. King is a, is a great thing to do. I, there should have been probably more community engagement to begin with so that there wasn't a surprise with some of the neighbors that lived along the Paseo that they were you know, putting up the signs. I mean, there, there was, the neighborhood was really upset about, you know, when Paseo High School, you know, what happened, the, its demise. And so I think that love and sharing and discussion needs to be, I think those neighbors needed to be engaged, but I don't think that there should be a vote. Now, Chris, no, and, and uh, Chris, Chris, if Gwen is wrong, and I understand that's unlikely, <laughs> that's but, but <laughs> if she should be incorrect and voters approve switching back to Paseo, what might the city do to honor Dr. King's memory? I think one of the things that we get wrong sometimes when we look to put up memorials to Dr. King is that nationally we tend to put them in primarily black communities. And one of the things that was noted in the New York Times is that many realtors are using this almost as a new red line, as a way to depress values in some of those areas, which hurts black homeowners. I think if the voters do this, I think one of the things that we're going to have to think about is that in cities where they have been successful with having a Martin Luther King Drive, and it is an imperative that Kansas City, Missouri honors that, I do believe that revoking this is terrible. But I think it should be in a white or a business community to show the outreach is really now, there. Do you agree with that? So I, I think that what's important is when they chose to name a boulevard or a street yeah. after Dr. King, choosing a boulevard is very important because they have specifications right? and standards and they are better maintained. So Dustin, why was uh, Paseo selected as the street to have its name changed? I, I couldn't tell you, but it certainly seems that the city council... Because it's a major boulevard, as Gwen just said. It is, but the, the city... <laughs> and there's a large African-American population yes. on... Is, would that be the right answer? I, that would be the right answer. Thank you, Dustin. Uh, <laughs> Gwen, you're head of the uh, Urban League in Kansas City, and annually the Urban League in Kansas City issues a State of Black Kansas City report. 
I hold a copy Periodically, of my hands. not annually. Well, I think the last occasionally, time, as occasionally I said, from time to time, one. the Urban League uh, <laughs> releases this kind of a document. It was last week. What were some of the top stories from it? So you know, the report focuses on, on uh, the status of African Americans in the greater Kansas City area in education, health, economics, social justice, and civic engagement. And basically we're looking at how much progress we've made in those key areas. Uh, I think some of the most compelling findings were in the areas of education, which the, the book is titled Urban Education. Uh, still separate and unequal, so it, it takes a deep dive into uh, student achievement uh, issues as well as, as uh, the persistent segregation of public schools. We look at that. And then we look at economic indicators. So one of the most startling uh, economic indicators is that uh, median net worth for African Americans is less than 10% of median net worth for whites. Overall, just quickly, better or worse than the year before, the time before? Uh, so it's kind of static, better in some areas and worse in others. Was the Kaufman School having an impact? Uh, the, no, not in the overall numbers as we look at the data and, and the way that we uh, study it. I think that's, the, that question is not something that we measured. That's I'd like to continue, but we've got to move on. Sorry. Students in public administration schools know the name L.P. Perry Cookingham, the man for whom the road at the airport is named. Cookingham became the city manager of Kansas City in the early 1940s after the corrupt Pendergast era and is given credit for instituting important changes and presiding over a period of growth and improvement. Called the dean of city managers, Cookingham was nonetheless fired after 19 years on the job. Actually, he was forced to resign like many after him would be. The current city manager, Troy Schulte, is not being forced to resign, not being fired. He's retiring after a decade in the manager's office. He may have sensed that a new mayor and a council with six freshman members might be interested in change. In Kansas City's form of government, the manager is of critical importance. As someone with local government experience, what qualities should the city be looking for in Schulte's successor? We'll start with Laura. Well, they need somebody who can embrace uh, the goals of the mayor, the current mayor and the council because the manager is, it basically does, does the work. He holds everything together and with Troy, he, I mean, he's done a fantastic job on moving Kansas City forward, particularly after the sort of unsettling years with the conflict between Mayor Funkhauser and his city manager and so that's that's what they need. So, Dustin, do you think the general public understands the power a city manager wields in a city manager form of government? I think they do understand the importance of the role and that they're kind of the the day-to-day -day manager of the city. I mean, Kansas City's a little different than some of our local cities around where, you know, the mayor's not there full-time. But I, I don't think this is uncommon for a city manager to leave after a new election. Uh, I've met many city managers over the years who have hopped around from city to city to city and they always tell me it's because of the new mayor that's come in after the election of the new city council so I don't think we should be surprised that he either sensed or knew that the uh, pink slip was coming. Well, Gwen, what, what, what do you think of uh, Schulte? You, you watch all this very closely. So I think everybody's being really nice about the fact that we just, you know, there's a, a change in leadership, but clearly there was some tension uh, between the city manager and some of the city council mem uh, members, but when he opted to 
you know, say he's not going to seek renewal of his contract. Everyone's taking the high road in that. So, and, but it does. It, it's not uncommon in these. Do, in do you think time. he's been successful? He's been Absolutely. Good I think you know. I think he's for the most part. You you know, there are uh, numerous outcomes or that you could state in terms of of. Uh, how he's been effective, but I think in recent years uh, the challenges well around to around basic services and potholes and the trash issue. You got that eight hundred million dollar bond issue passed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, streets so, still have potholes, yeah. but yeah. well, with a yeah. city like Kansas City, Missouri, it's huge. I mean, it's got a it's a really big budget, and you can't you have to have a priority and work on your list and that's what Troy had been doing and with this mayor he wants to change up what's at the top right. of the list mm -hmm. and so I think Troy's been very successful he's been there 10 years oh my gosh I mean that's like a lifetime he'll have a great pension money because he was at the city before <laughs> serving well, the city manager which is a couple hundred thousand dollars a year probably uh, but you know what they work really hard and they take a lot of grief so I don't begrudge Chris that. you think a new manager should come from another city or from within the ranks of like deputy or assistant city managers now employed? Well, that's really going to be up to the council and, of course, the mayor. But I do think that there's always good in looking outside for fresh ideas, and I think that that's one of the things that we're seeing. I think that we've had a fairly successful run. Nobody bats a 1,000, but Troy did very well. And now may be the time to bring in some new ideas uh, to Kansas City for the future. Tell you a little story about uh, years ago when I went to a city council meeting early in my career as a reporter in Kansas City. The manager uh, and the mayor were enemies, so to speak. And at that uh, city council meeting, the mayor said to the manager, "Now I'd like for you to do a report on that and have it for me next week at the city council meeting, okay?" And the manager said, "Yes, sir, Mr. Mayor. I'll be happy to do that." When you get six more votes. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, there. So the mayor is not. The, yeah. uh, other than the titular head of the city, he doesn't run the day-to-day -day operations. There was right. a city administrator in our area that was known to tell the mayor, I can count the votes. And exactly. he would do what he had the votes for, <laughs> and he didn't really care what the mayor had to say. But I'm going to say, Troy was there a long time in the city, and this next person may not be a long-time person. It may be short, mm -hmm. because there's going to be a bunch of, there's going to be a lot of change, I think. In fact, we're going to change topics right now. Okay. Kansas uh, U.S. Representative Sharice Davids followed her more experienced Missouri counterpart, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, late last week, and now is in support of the impeachment of Donald Trump and that process now underway in the U.S. House. Davids is a first-termer and a Democrat in the 3rd District, which often, but not always, elects Republicans. Davids has been slower than many of her fellow Democrats to take the final step and endorse impeachment, which requires action by the House and then a two-thirds vote to convict in the U.S. Senate. Question now seems to be, how will this play in the 3rd District, especially in Johnson County? Will this please her supporters in both parties or inflame those Republicans who left the GOP to back Davids last year? In other words, does this help or hurt Sharice Davids? And we'll start with Dustin. I think this is going to hurt her. I mean, this is going to be her first big test as as a representative. She's gotten a lot of cover from the media lately with fluff pieces of her going around doing odd jobs and not asking her the hard questions on where she stands on issues. And if her campaign becomes the focal point of should or should we not impeach the president, um, 
I think people are going to look elsewhere for a representative, and this could be just a one-term uh, rep. Doesn't seem to be any shortage of Republicans who have announced they're vying for that job uh, next year. Chris, what's your view? Does this uh, action by Sharice Davids that she backs impeachment, does that help her in the district or hurt her? Well, I think it's interesting because the person who's really ducking the hard questions is, of course, President Trump, who just before we got on air today stood on the White House lawn and asked China to investigate Biden. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, if President Obama had stood on the White House lawn and asked a foreign intelligence agency to investigate political opponents. It's outrageous. Let me restate the question. Uh, does this help or hurt? I think, it, I think it hurts. I think it hurts. Uh, the Republicans who are running. No, we're talking about Sharice Davids, I think it's Democrat. Neutral. It's Simple neutral answer, for her. yes or no, it's good or bad. For her. It or... is great amongst Democrats. It's great amongst independents. And for Republicans, they're going to be divided of how far are they going to support Trump. I don't know if, you're, if we're reading the same polls because it's Democrats that are driving the increase in the support for impeachment. Independents, uh, there's been about five polls that have come out nationally. None of them are above 40% for independents who support it. And if you really dig into the numbers, uh, even Democrats admit that they're looking at this as a way to remove Trump from office, not actually investigate the claims. So in an ISPOS poll that was released this morning by Which USA Today. was all done online. So. Sure. But they're showing an increase in support amongst Democrats and independents significantly for impeachment. But more importantly, the real question is, should we have that investigation? Should we at least go the step to find out the what's going on? The one of Biden or the one of Trump? <laughs> the one of Trump. <laughs> Should it be one of Biden as well? I think it's really it interesting that at. Trump brings yeah. up Biden when his daughter was out recruiting patents in China, his son was in Saudi Arabia getting grants, and they've been so lobbying. So that means no, industries. don't investigate Biden, just investigate I, I, the president. I'm, if they want to uh, investigate, when, let's go. Won't impeachment <laughs> delay action on things Democrats run ran on uh, in, in 2018, things they were going well, to change, you know, what like delays action on things that Democrats, What delays action for Democrats is the Senate, is Mitch McConnell. So Democrats uh, in Congress have been doing their job, have been passing legislation, and it has not been able to get through the Senate. So that's the problem there. With respect to the impeachment issue, I think that another challenge is just around timing. So if, if uh, Congress is able to move this impeachment inquiry forward with expediency and, and get the uh, investigation uh, handled prior to the end of the year, I think what uh, will happen in 2020 will be significantly different. I think, uh, but it can also mobilize the base of the Democratic Party in a way that they will show up and vote. And in fact, you know, we did vote. Uh, Hillary Clinton won a majority of the electorate in the last election. Well, but she so didn't win a majority of the electoral votes, uh, which is what the Constitution uh, explains as the way but, to elect a president. Of course not. But in those key states going forward in 2020, uh, our, you know, the Democratic base could, could be motivated to turn that. So, Laura, how realistic is it to think the Republican-controlled Senate will vote to convict Donald Trump if, in fact, he is impeached by the House, as I think he probably will be? I think it, it, I'm going to quote my law school professor. It, it, it depends. I mean, it depends on what they impeach him with. It depends on what the investigation reveals. I mean, well, I, it, I mean, regardless of that, if the House votes articles of impeachment and they go to the Senate, there's a trial overseen by the Chief Justice of the United States. Do you think two-thirds of the Senate will vote to convict, throw out of office I the don't, president? I don't. I think this is, I think we're spending a lot of money and a lot of emotional energy when 
both parties need to be focused on what we need to do to move the Dow forward with regular Americans. My emotional energy is gone. Just tired. <laughs> it's time now for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 seconds each to pretend, defend, or upend. And we start with Laura. So I'm going to give a shout out to Derek Schmidt. Uh, earlier this week or end of last week, he came out with an attorney general opinion regarding the, South, the Supreme Court's uh, ruling regarding uh, taxing of internet sales. And I'm going to I toast him because he is consistent on what the legislature authorizes. He was my guest last week on Ruckus. That's awesome. Interview. There you he go. spoke kindly of you. Gwen? I am roasting the Dallas County jury for sentencing Amber Geyer to only 10 years for killing Botham John, an unarmed black man, as he sat eating dinner in his home. While I applaud the jury for in issuing the correct verdict in finding Geyer guilty of murder, which is uncommon in police brutality, it is unconscionable that they should would, pat, would place such a low value on the life of a young black man. Surely a stiffer sentence of 28 years, one year for every year of Botham John's life, would have been justified. Okay, Chris. My roast is for the continued lack of transparency at JCCC. As they seek a new president, which we discovered last month in their board meeting, they've authorized an outside firm, which was one of the highest bidders. But they haven't done a very good job of updating the public of what's going on. As Trustee Musil said, they expect to spend more than they did on their current president. This could bring the total price tag to about $500,000. The public deserves to know what's going on and to bring in those people. So I hope they show up on October 10th in OCB 100 and participate in the practice. JCCC, Johnson County okay, Community College. Okay, Dustin. Uh, this week I roast the Olathe Public Schools and other school districts across Kansas who are considering filing lawsuits against Juul and other e-cigarette companies for apparently causing disruptions in their school schools. Um, you gotta simply ask what's next? Cell phones, uh, suing the gum companies for all the gum that's stuck underneath desks. Uh, this isn't going to go anywhere for them, and it seems like they should just focus on what they're there to do is educate students. I'm checking under the desk. <laughs> and, and finally, I ran across an item. It's probably apocryphal, but it seemed amusing, at least to me. You may have heard this before. One philosopher asks another, do you believe in free will? And the second philosopher replies, of course I do. What choice do I have? And that is Ruckus for this week. We're back next Thursday at 7. Good session, all of you. Thank you for coming in. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, I'm Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night. Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you.